the ninth chapter of the book of Isaiah, a passage of Scripture that was penned by the prophet in about 740 B.C. Isaiah 9, verse 6. This is a passage of Scripture that's used so much at Christmas time, especially printed on Christmas cards and heard over the news media. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall rest, or shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David, upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. You may be seated. The latter part of verse 6 speaks of the Prince of Peace. And I must stand here on this Christmas day to say that if our world has ever needed a touch of the Spirit of God to bring peace and to bring understanding and to bring wisdom, our world needs it today. I thumb through the U.S. News and World Report that uh, Don and Peggy Moran had subscribed for us as a Christmas gift. And uh, I just, uh, as I thumbed through there, I, I looked at all of the world situations. And if you received the last copy, you were probably made aware of the same thing. Out of all the continents of the world, speaking of Europe, of Asia, of Africa, of the far east, then going into South America and Central America, the unrest here in the States, and covering the world, we were made aware that this world really needs God. While we're not experiencing a war here on the North American continent, all of the continents of the world except North America are experiencing some type of war. Some of it is civil war, strife within the, the government of the country, and some is intervention of outside our alien governments. But our world really does need God. And we are seeing things shaping up, no doubt, or maybe I should say beyond a shadow of a doubt, for the times that are spoken of in the book of Revelation. But it's so good to know that there is a pavilion in God where you can find peace and you can find rest and you can find happiness. And you know, that the church offers that type of pavilion. It is a pavilion of rest and peace. The church is the worldwide nation of God. See, there is a Christian nation. 
that is not limited to one particular boundary, but it's worldwide. Peter put it like this, ye are a holy nation, a peculiar people. But he did call us a holy nation. While the holy nation is not the United States of America, it's not the Republic of Canada, it's not West Germany, it's not some country in South Africa or in Africa, it's not a Central American country, the holy nation, the holy country is the church. Now my dad made reference to coming here from Texas and he said, we didn't bring the weather with us, it was already here. Well, of course, we who live in the north, we understand that, you know, it's going to be cold every winter. We just count it a blessing when we have a heat wave like we have today. <laughs> but, uh, <clears throat> you know, the reason why, and several people asked my dad, he said, they said, how do you like the weather? He said, doesn't bother me. I'll tell you the reason why it doesn't bother him. Because he stays inside the house by the fire all the time. <laughs> See? <clears throat> See, he's come here to visit, and, uh, you know, he has no responsibilities. And that's a good part about visiting. You have no obligation. So, you know, the only time you really have to go out is when you go to church, and you wrap up, and you put on all your clothes and such, and you just, somebody drives you to the front door, and you dart in, you dart right back out, and you're in a garage, and the door comes down, and you walk inside. Well, <clears throat> you know, that's not much of an exposure, see? Now, <clears throat> but to us who have responsibilities and obligations, you know, like going out and getting the firewood, going out and buying the groceries and the Christmas gifts and so forth, and going out and working. We have men right here in this assembly who work in coal situations. Then, then we, can, we, can, we, look at the, we look at it from a different perspective then because there's an association. Now, use that example... To, to show you how it is with us and our relationship with the world. It's easy for us in our country where there's not a lot of strife and then being involved in the holy nation of the church to not be really made aware of the climate, the spiritual climate of our world. And while people are telling us that there's war in Europe, it's like flipping on your radio and you hear that it's 50 below in Montana where Jeff's sister just came from. Now that's cold, friend. That's real cold. But you see, I can't really associate myself with it until I get out in it. And so there is war in Europe. But, but to me, it's just news. See? And, and there, there, there is war in, in uh, the Mideast. You know, but but that's just news. That that's the way it is, and and there are conflicts in Central America, but that's just news. You see, I hear all about uh, Grenada and Lebanon, but that's just news. There's no real association. Why? Because I'm in the pavilion of the church, and when you're in such an environment, in such a sheltered place, it's difficult for us to understand. Just how much we really do need the Lord. Now the Bible speaks that, that Jesus is a present help in a time of trouble. And you know, because that we're in this sheltered environment of the church, 
it's hard for us sometimes to even uh, sympathize with our neighbors next door who are not in this sheltered environment. Now, Jesus had this to say in Matthew 5, verse 9, when he gave the Sermon on the Mount. He said, Blessed are the peacemakers. Now, when he used the word blessed, the word happy are the peacemakers can be trans can be translated there. Happy instead of blessed. So Jesus would say, Happy are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. You see, Jesus was the Prince of Peace. While we are in this sheltered environment of the church, there is war that's taking place in our world, and God is out there right with those people. He is the Prince of Peace to them. He knocks upon their heart's door. He visits them. Don't you know that God sees all the lonely hearts and homes that have been ripped apart in Beirut? He sees them today. And He's there. Now, we're not out there. Maybe some Christians are, but we're not out there. But our environment right outside of our door denotes to us that that our world is in need of a Prince of Peace. You see, I'm a firm believer that every nation gets the government that they deserve. And America is reaching the place in which she deserves a different government outside of democracy and freedom. Now, why? The Bible tells me that all powers are ordained of God. When a society reaches the place in which that the people become irresponsible, that society that does not appreciate its freedom, that does not appreciate its liberty, but will involve itself in sinful things, in lustful things, and destroy itself, God will allow some dictator to rise up and rule over the people. It appears that what the Scriptures say when it says that all powers on earth are ordained of God, what the Scriptures really saying is that if people show themselves to be irresponsible and they won't do what they need to do, God will allow some dictator to rise up to force them to do some of the things that they need to do. Now, we don't like to look at it like that. But I do know that according to the Scripture, when Israel fell into gross iniquity, God sent Nebuchadnezzar down to destroy Jerusalem and to take captive all of the Israelites into Babylon. Now, regardless of what you want to say or what I want to say, the Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar was a servant of God. Now, he was not a servant of God from the standpoint of him pleasing God. He was called a servant of God because he, not even knowing that he was fulfilling the will of God, not even a praying man, a man who was vile himself, God looked down upon this wicked man, Nebuchadnezzar, and saw that he had enough willpower and enough strength and enough authority to force the Israelites to their knees. And so God sent him down. And so he took the country. Israel was in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. The Bible says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Now, isn't it strange that for 240, or say 200, for 490 to 500 years, 
that all of Israel had disobeyed God's law. They had desecrated the sacrifices. They had gone their own way and not observed the Sabbath. That was their day of rest and their day of worship to God. When God took them captivity, he allowed them, or maybe I should say he forced them to stay in captivity 70 years. Out of 490 years of desecrating God's place of worship, there are exactly 70 years worth of Sabbaths. And God was showing to Israel, I will get back every day in which you refused to serve me when you had the opportunity to serve me. Every day that you could have done it by choice and would not do it, I will allow a wicked man to rule over you and a wicked kingdom to rule over you to suppress you so that you will understand what liberty and peace is all about. And do you know that after they came to a knowledge and an understanding, God allowed three expeditions, Israel, Zerubbabel, and Nehemiah, to go back and rebuild the temple and rebuild the walls of the city and return back to their true place of worship. Why? Because they understood that their true king was Jehovah. And they understood that true peace came by observance of the laws and the commandments of God. We have a lot of responsibility here in our nation. But liberty and responsibility are granted on equal basis. To whomsoever much is given, much is required. To grant to any individual more freedom and more liberty then there are responsibilities connected with it will only cause that person to pollute the world or the society in which he lives. This is why we have a government that sees that people don't kill other people. But in places or in cases where we have the breaking of the law, it is always broken by irresponsible people, people who were granted much more liberty than there were responsibilities. Where young people were granted the liberty to roam the streets and yet sleep at home in mom and dad's bed and never turn a hand to do anything. Where young people were allowed to talk any way they wanted to, to mom and dad. And yet they were given the liberty to go out in public places and do likewise. Well, what happens then in a society like that? The government has to come along or some government official, police officer, arrest the individual, take him to court. And then the judge would declare a sentence upon him in which he learns to bear responsibility while at the same time his liberty is taken away from him. Now you may say, Brother Grant, why are you saying all of that on, on a Christmas day? 
I'm saying it because that there is in my heart a deep, sincere feeling and concern for the liberties and the peace that you and I are enjoying here in the United States of America. I want, by the help of God, to be a blessing, not a curse, to our nation. I trust that God would give us many, many more Christmases like this Christmas. But I'll tell you what we're going to have to do as a nation. We're going to have to put Christ back, not just into one day, but we're going to have to put Christ back into our society. He was not just the Prince of Peace for, for one day out of 365 and a fourth days in a year. But in order for the world to experience peace, he must be the Prince of Peace 365 and a fourth days every year. Every year. Now, if in our nation there is a turnaround, and there has to be, if there is a situation that will bring about an abrupt halt, if there is a revolution at all, it will come through God's people. And the reason why is because that the conscience of the average individual does not dictate to him the need of seeing a change. But we see that need. Now there are certain signs that follow the believer. And here is how I feel that it ought to be turned around. Matthew 16, or not Matthew, but Mark 16, said, These signs shall follow them that believe. So there were certain signs that were to follow them that believe. But we also know that those are not the only signs that follow the believer. In John 13, verse 34 through verse 35, Jesus said that we should love one another. He also said that this would be a sign to the world, that the world might know that ye are my disciples indeed. Brother Rich Thomas gave me a story just before he came here. There was a man who came to his house to purchase an item that he had listed in the paper. And he says, I don't even put up a Christmas tree anymore. And he talked of his disgust of the whole holiday and the particular situation in which our world is going. And Rich talked to him about the Lord. He said, I didn't even know there's a church in this city that believed this way. And he talked to him about the real true meaning of Christmas. And do you know this world needs a sign that, that there are true disciples of the Lord still living upon the, the face of the earth? Now, if he's the Prince of Peace and we love one another, we'll be, we'll be at peace with each other. It's a sad, sad thing when Christians cannot be peaceful, where they back talk and gossip and, and so forth all the time. But to know that we can truly appreciate each other and we can be at peace with each other. 
That is such a beautiful thing. I turn your attention to 1 John, the third chapter. 1 John 3. First John 3, verse 11. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning. Now, what does it mean from the beginning? That Jesus taught us. This is what Jesus taught us, all right? That we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and therefore slew he him, because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. All right? Now notice what it says. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. In other words, here's a sign that you have passed from death to life. Your ability to get along with each other and love each other is a sign. That's not the only sign, but that's one sign. That we have passed from death to life. And it's good to have these prevalent signs among Christians. To be able to hold somebody's hand and shake their hand and declare them to be your brother indeed. I feel peace here today, don't you? Wonderful peace. Coming down from the Father above. Now verse 15 says, Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Now notice what verse 16 says. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's how much God loved the world. But 1 John 3.16, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us. So ought we to lay down our lives for the brethren. And you see, Jesus is saying, Your love that you have one to another, And your ability to give yourself one to another is proof that the Prince of Peace has visited you indeed. Praise God. But it goes a step further. It goes even outside of the boundaries of the nation, of the church. One step further. Matthew 5, that speaks to the peacemakers. And I'd like to call your attention to a passage of Scripture that's found there, if you would. Matthew 5. And we start reading at verse 38. But ye have heard that it had been said, An eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, that ye resist not evil, But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now what Jesus is saying, if you're so interested in being a real prince of peace, if you're interested in stopping a skirmish, why don't you let it stop with you, even at the expense of personal personal shame? Why don't you just let it stop with you? And if any man will sue thee at law to take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and for him that would borrow of thee, turn thou not away. Ye have heard 
that it hath been said, Whosoever, or thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. And do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Now Jesus didn't say we should tolerate evil. I'm talking about evil people. You know, sometimes when you see a person, we say, I just don't like him at all. But I tolerate him. But there's a lot of difference between toleration and love. Jesus said, love your enemies. Now, that's not an easy commandment. Now, why should you do all this? Verse 45 says, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. That is proof that you are my children. For he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. Did you know all of us who sit in the pavilion of the holy nation of the church? There was a time in which Paul speaks of to the Corinthians in which we loved railings and fornication and idolatry and such. He said, and such were some of you, but now you're washed. It's hard for us sometimes to transpose in our mind back to that day in which we lived in sin. Aren't you glad that God didn't just give you what you deserve then? You see, and that's what he's saying. You don't just go around giving people what they deserve. Why? Because you have the peacemaker in your heart. All right? So he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and, un, and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same. It's easy to pat somebody on the back that's patting you on the back. It's easy to exchange a gift with somebody that you know you're going to give, get a gift back from. That's an easy thing to do. For if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than the others? Do not even the publicans also? Be you therefore perfect. And the context of the scripture is that the very nature that was in God should be in you. That's what he's saying. See, God doesn't just allow it to rain on the just, but not on the unjust. He doesn't just call people out of the world of sin who love him, because none of us would be saved. So when he says, be therefore perfect as your father, take the Lord for an example. How does he run the world? Does he send the good weather upon the crops of the heathen? Sure he does. And he says, now that nature should also be in you. That nature should also be in you. I have one passage of scripture I'd like to call your attention to before we given our Christmas for Christ offering that will conclude our service today. And that's found in the book of Romans, the 12th chapter. Romans 12, <clears throat> verse 20. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. <clears throat> if thine enemy hunger... Feed him. 
If he thirst, give him drink. If you see somebody that's in need, the Bible says, help him. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Now this coals of fire that's speak, spoken of here is not what a lot of people think. They think that the scripture is saying this is a good way for you to get even with him. In other words, you do something good for him that just burns him up. And he doesn't know how to react. That's not what it's saying. You see, Paul is taking an example of a particular custom. Or maybe I should say a practice that the Israelites had. Not only the Israelites, but this was true in a lot of the Mideastern cities. There was a place in the square of the middle of the city in which a fire was built every morning. And there would be one person designated for a given length of time to set the fire. And so they would start this big, big fire in the midst of the city. Because they did not have matches that start instant fires like we have. Automatic pilots and such. One family member then would be designated to take the big pot made out of clay or pottery that was designed to fit on the head and he would be designated to go out to the big fire and from that fire coals would be taken to fill the pot and he would go back to his own house to start his own fire for his family. And what Paul is saying is do good to them which hate you. Feed him who is hungry. What you're going to do, he said, you're going to heap coals of fire upon his head. In other words, you're going to warm him up to you. It's like putting fire in that cold, cold pot. And it brings a glow and a warmth in his own household. That's what he's saying. He's not saying this is your way of getting even. Do something good to him so it'll just burn him up. No, that's not what he's saying. He said this is the method that God uses to bring men to himself. There would be a lot of people that would not serve God today if God didn't continue to bless them even when they don't deserve it. And let me ask you this, where would any of us be without the mercy of God? I don't know, but I kind of think this is what the Bible is saying in Proverbs, the 16th chapter, verse 7. When the writer of this passage said, He will make even your enemies to be at peace with you. He's not saying he changed the nature of the enemy. So that he'll love you. No. He changes your nature. The change takes place in you. So that a change will take place in him. And the true spirit.
of Christmas is giving. For God so loved the world that he gave. The baby Jesus was wrapped in swaddling clothes and placed in a manger. This was God's gift to the world. And the best thing that you can do on Christmas is to give. But not just to those that love you. We have an offering plan that's placed here on our altar. We take an offering each Christmas called Christmas for Christ. To show our love even to those that do not like what we stand for. We place an offering in an offering pan. And this offering is used, all of it, 100% of it, to start churches in unchurched cities. Your giving in this offering will denote the true spirit of a peacemaker. People that are cursing God. People that will fill the bar rooms. People that will have fights and skirmishes in their homes. Your offering is designated for them. Because the true love of the Lord was reaching out to seek and save that which was lost. We'd like for you to stand at this time if you would. You know, sometimes we think backsliding is stopping your visits to the prayer room. Sometimes we think backsliding is stopping your visits to the church. Sometimes we think that backsliding is stopping giving in the offerings. We've got all kinds of ways in which we equate backsliding. But backsliding, according to Scripture, is leaving the principles of the Lord. And the closest you can ever be to God is when you let His own nature, His own nature, shine forth in your own personal life. If Jesus were here today in the flesh, what would He give to our lost world? I'll tell you what he would give. You can erect a cross right here in the middle of this church and he would gladly allow himself to be nailed to it again. That's what he would do for the world. How do you know, Brother Grant? Because his track record proves that he would do it. He did it in 33 A.D. The best gift belongs to the Lord. So as you bow your heads right now in prayer, 
We'd like for you to contemplate what you would like to do for the cause of God. And we'd like for you to step out individually, every head bowed, no singing. But when the Lord has directed you, we'd like for you to step out and come and give your gift right now. Praise God. Who would like to be the first one to step out and bring their gift to the Lord? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. You can make out your check right to Calvary Gospel Church. The offering will be distributed to our general department through our local missions department here. The best gift goes to the Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. <clears throat> I want to live the way He wants me to live. I want to give until there's just no more to give I want to love love till there's just no more love I could never ever out love the Lord I want to live wants me to live I want to give until there's just no more to give I want to love love till there's just no more love I could never Ever out love the Lord. Now let's lift our hands and let's worship Him. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Lord, we love you. Jesus, Lord, we worship you. We praise you, God. We appreciate you, Lord, so much, God. Oh, thank you, Lord, for Calvary, for taking our sins away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Praise God. Praise God. Thursday evening at 7.30 we have our regular service here. And then we will have a Saturday evening 8 o'clock watch night service that will go up until about midnight. Then next Sunday afternoon at 2 o'clock 
we will have a New Year service. God bless you. Have a great Christmas. Turn around and shake hands with someone.